Uh, Holy Cross, it is my privilege and honor to come all this way from Cane Bay, from St. Timothy's Church Plant. Whether you know it or not, you've planted a church in the last five years, and it's over in the Somerville Monk's Corner Goose Creek area, where St. Timothy's Cane Bay and the diocese decided that they wanted to get back into church planting, and so eight of us brave souls set out uh, five years ago to plant a church. And we worship on Saturday nights, odd. And we uh, worshiped last night, 85 folks bared the July heat and came to the worship service. And so that gives me the opportunity to visit other churches on Sunday. And this is a huge privilege. I've had this on the calendar, looking forward to being here at Holy Cross. I've only ever been in that one building and I've been in the diocese since I was very young. So this is very, uh, very much a pleasure to be here with you all. Thank you. Thank you. So you're in a, you're in a three week sermon series about call. Call And I finished preaching at the uh, old church uh, this morning, a, a man who's using walking sticks to get up the aisle. His name's Mac. Some of you may know him. And he grabbed me on the way out, and I thought, here it comes. He's going to tell me, great sermon. And he went, one thing about your sermon. Oh, here. <laughs> he said, I, I want you to know that seven years ago, I was driving down this very road, he said, and the Lord called to me. I said, really? He said, yeah, I heard his voice. I heard his voice. It wasn't audible, but I heard it in the spirit. And he said, Mac, it's time for you to come home. And he said, I've been, I've been coming here ever since. I just wanted you to know that. And I said, man, oh man, that's my whole sermon. I'm just going to say that at nine o'clock and go, done. Just talk to Mac. <laughs> it's exactly what I'm trying to say. Mac summarized it in one sentence. He heard the Lord and he responded. So the three parts of the call, as Holy Cross has laid it out, are follow that's the first one. Jesus says, come follow me. Tells his disciples, who don't even know who he is. They know he's a rabbi. He's dressed like a rabbi. He talks like a rabbi. But he gives them that imperative. Come follow me. And they do. They just get up. The hair on the back of their neck. You, you know that. Sometimes in worship. Sometimes in prayer. Sometimes looking at a new grandchild. You, the hair on the back of your neck. You're like, wow, I'm in the presence of something powerful. Follow me, he says. That's the first step. And then the second part is this formation. And that's what I'm going to be talking about this morning, how we are formed by his Holy Spirit. It's great news. When I get to the end, you're going to go, oh, thank God. Because I'm not going to stand up here and say what Jesus says in the form phase is now be like me. Jesus doesn't say that at all. Jesus doesn't say now be like me. And this is something that's going to make a lot of people mad. The first thing he doesn't say is, and be my disciples. He wants us to be his disciples, but there's an entryway into discipleship. And that happens in this formation period. In this formation period. And then the last week is going to be about fulfilling. Our bishop prays all the time, and when he finishes his prayer, he says something like, to your glory and for our greater good. That's a summation of what it means to fulfill God's purpose in our lives. It's always for his glory and for our greater good. He, um, he uh, asked me a couple days ago how it was going, and I was telling him that I had, uh, we'd reached kind of a milestone in our church. And one of the things that I've come to recognize in our church is that not only were the eight people who started the church called, I mean, that's what we, was we sat around the dining room table nervously wondering, you know, what we were going to do next. Um, the people that are there now say the same thing. I talked to a seminarian who came and interviewed some folks in our church, and I said, well, what, what did you find out? And he said, well, the first thing I found out was everybody I spoke to said they were called here. One guy even said from Maryland, he walked up one morning, I'll never forget it, or one evening, and he, I said, hi, how you doing? He goes, oh, my name's John, and, and the Lord sent me here. I said, what? 
He said, yeah, we lived in Maryland and we were getting ready to retire and the Lord said, I want you to go to St. Timothy's Church. And so those are the kind of stories that we're hearing where God is actually not only calling people, but sending them. So I've got this really cool description of call because I want to start with people who may be thinking, I'm not sure I'm called. You know, Gary, that sounds cool and you got the nice clothes and everything, but I'm not sure I believe that everybody's called. Well, listen to this description about call from Jack London. Jack London. Especially he loved to run in the dim twilight of the summer, seeking for the mysterious something that called. It called to him incessantly. It called to him waking. It called to him sleeping. It called at all times. It called for him to come. This nagging calling that I propose every one of us has heard. And it's always, Christian brothers and sisters, in our lives as we follow Jesus, it's always a call out of something and into something. And that's part of the conundrum. Trevor heard, go to seminary. Sell your business in Charleston, Trevor, and go to seminary. Trevor's called out of something that he knew and understood and was stable with. He was probably in Bible studies. He was serving the Lord. Why did he need to go to seminary? God called him out of something that he knew and understood into a place that he didn't know. But always the promise is not what we are following, but who we are following. Remember that, brothers and sisters. If you don't remember anything this morning, it's not what we believe. It's who we believe. We believe in a man God. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in a who. And so when we're called, he always calls us into deeper relationship with him. He always does. Paul says this is what the call sounds or feels like. This is what the call sounds or feels like. It's in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, Paul, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bonds of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as everyone in this room was called to one hope when we were called. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Now, Paul goes on to give us this really good news. I ended my last sermon with this news, but I want to I put this in the middle. Paul goes on to say that this call forms us into something very unique, and it's not disciples first. So everybody let out a big sigh. It's not disciples first. No, Paul says the first thing God calls us into and forms us for is this. Are you ready? I'm going to see smiles on everybody's faces. Here it comes. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is at the 9 o'clock service at Holy Cross, they are a new what? Creation. The old is gone, the new has come, and all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting our sins against us, thank God, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Drum roll, please. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Everybody say it. You know what qualifications you have to have to be an ambassador? None! No, no disgrace to anyone who may be an ambassador or retired from ambassadorship. Uh, but, but discipleship requires classes, doesn't it? Don't, you have to go to class to be a disciple. You have to sit in class. You have to learn. You have to be taught. You have to follow. There's all kinds of things you have to do to be a disciple. Amen? And we need disciples. But the entryway, I propose, into discipleship is this verse right here. The call that forms us 
is an ambassadorship. And here's the good news about ambassadorship. The only qualification you need to be an ambassador, ladies and gentlemen, is that you are friends with the king or the president. It is an appointment. No one looks at your resume. No one says, ah, you don't, no. If the king or the president says you're an ambassador, guess what? You're an ambassador. You're an ambassador. So, did you smile at your neighbor this morning or somebody at coffee? Ambassador. Uh, Laugh if you want to, it's that easy. Did you, is somebody here watering plants for somebody who's gone? Will you water my plants for a week while I'm gone to the mountains? Ambassador. Um, Has someone here taken care of a grandchild or someone else's child this summer? Ambassador. Have you been kind to a barista, a checkout clerk, someone at the gas station? Ambassador, ambassador, ambassador. Sorry. Um, and, and we're ambassadors with new hearts. The old, like Paul said, is gone. The new has come. And for me, at least in my experience in talking to people, that ambassadorship moment happens at the Thomas moment or at the Peter moment. Thomas, upper room, a day late, a dollar short. Remember that story? All the disciples, Jesus comes, the resurrection. He meets them all. Thomas isn't there. Thomas tells them later over coffee, lest I see it, I'm not going to believe it. Next day, they're in the same room. Jesus comes right through the wall, right? And you know the disciples are elbowing each other going, boy, Thomas is going to get it now. He didn't believe. And that's not what Jesus does, does he? He just leads with grace. He says, Thomas, Thomas, come here. Put, put your hand here in the nail holes. Put, put your hand, touch the wound in my side. And what does Thomas do? He falls on his face, brothers and sisters, on his knees just like any of us would. And he utters those words that moves him into ambassadorship. Because he's not a disciple yet either. They're not disciples until the Holy Spirit is poured out to them on Pentecost. That's where disciples are made, by the power of the Holy Spirit, in this period of formation. So Thomas, on his knees, looks up, tears in his eyes, and says, My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Peter, same thing, in the boat, a week later. Jesus on the shore with the fish. John says to him in the boat, hey, look, it's the Lord. And Peter yells at the top of his lungs, it is the Lord, as loud as Trey can sing. It is the Lord. Puts himself, clothes on, dives in the water. That's the moment we become ambassadors. And and, and we can't do anything else. We have no choice. Peter later in Matthew will say, you know, where, where do you want us to go, Lord? I mean, what else can we do? We have to follow you. We know you are the Christ. There's no other option. Now, there's two challenges with this call. We saw the first one, black and white this morning in that story. It's sugar-coated, parents, isn't it? If you lost your child for three days, do you think you'd walk up to your child and say, honey, why, why did you treat your dad and I like this? You know, we've been anxiously searching for you. I lost my child for 10 minutes at the county fair, and I was like, where is he? We're running around, all points bulletin. I mean, if you are going to follow, and if you are going to let the Lord form you, problem number one, it's going to put you at odds usually, first with your family, always happens. Even churchgoers, oh, we go to church, but we're not that much into Jesus. Why don't you calm down? It always puts us at odds with people. Always. The call. Always. I'm sorry. Always, that's, I'm telling you a little personal story, aren't I? Always. Yeah, we, we like church too, Gary, but you take it a little too far. Um, it, it puts us at odds. And then the second one, the more scary one that I was using Trevor for as a demonstration is, we often don't know where it's going to lead us. My friend Rob McRae's over here, and he used to be at St. Michael's Church, and he loved being at St. Michael's Church. 
And he would give me and friends tours there, and I'd walk around like a big wig. I'd be like, I know Rob. And we'd go all over the place, and it was beautiful. And we meet for breakfast, and we talk about Jesus in the Cracker Barrel. And people are flocked around. You know, what are you guys talking about? Well, Rob was discerning a call to come here. And he had an interview with somebody here. And as he was talking to that person, it was as if the person was speaking for the Lord and saying, I want you to actually take a job now further from your home. Didn't make sense. Rob didn't have all the facts, except he just knew he was called to come to this church. And he was the first person I met this morning. My friend Rob, who I've known since eighth grade. Who I've known since eighth grade. To get to that Peter or Thomas moment in this formation, um, it requires, I believe, that we admit defeat, brothers and sisters. It requires that we admit that we need Jesus. Our psalm this morning that was so beautifully read. There are two ways to go, the psalmist says. There's the way toward righteousness, and it says in there, blessed is the man who walks um, in righteousness. And I think we could actually say, blessed is the one who follows this morning for our purposes in righteousness. So we can go toward righteousness or we can go toward evil, but we have to come to the place of surrender. We have to believe that Jesus is Lord and we have to give him that place in our life so that we can be transformed. Notice even that word, transformed, has the word form in it. And the transformation points to one thing. The transformation always occurs and points to the cross that Jesus died on for each and every one of us and for all of us. For each and every one of us and all of us. And when we begin to understand in a radical and crazy new way that even before we knew Jesus, even when we were sinning, he still climbed up there with our names in mind. It's too good to be true. He forgives us for we ask. And Jesus even tells his disciples as we're talking about call, he tells them this on his last night over dinner. This is so beautiful if you think about it in terms of what it means to be called. Jesus says this, imagine brothers and sisters, he's washed their feet, he's had dinner with them, he knows in less than 12 hours he's going to be nailed to a cross. It's the, it's the clarion call of the world, clarion, crossword word, um, which means trumpets. It's the trumpet sounding call to the world. Jesus says this to the guys over candlelight, probably a little tearful, and when I am lifted up from the earth, when I am nailed, when I have been beaten, when I am hanging near dead up on that tree from earth, what am I going to do? Am I going to condemn everyone? No. I'm going to draw all people to myself. The, the Greek word there could also be translated as call. When people realize that I died for them before they knew it, it will call them from a place to a place. The gravity of that situation creates that transforming transaction where we have that Thomas moment. We deal with this man-God dying in our place. We get serious about what that means in our life because if that's true, brothers and sisters, everything else really doesn't matter. Or better said, everything else lines up under it. Because it's not about what we believe in. Like I said, it's about who we believe in. We believe in a man-God who died for our sins. And when we believe that, Paul says, the old is gone, like we heard read, and the new has come. There's a movie on Netflix. I'm not recommending it. I get in trouble doing this all the time. Uh, a book or a movie, and then people watch it or see it, and they go, that looks terrible. I'm like, I know. I'm just, it made a good illustration, though. 
So don't go home and watch this. Just listen to this one scene about old life, new life, about what it means, as Paul says, that the old has died, that at the moment we say yes to Jesus, the moment we deal with what's happening on the cross, the moment we submit to following him and being formed by him, we are now living for eternity. There's a scene in the movie, Matthew McConaughey's in it, and he plays a nurse in the Civil War, and his nephew has come to be on the front lines. His nephew wants to fight. And his nephew's not there more than two minutes, and his nephew takes a bullet right through the heart. And it's a powerful scene. And Matthew McConaughey, the nurse, scoops up his young nephew, who he did, of course, didn't want to come to this war. And he runs away from the battle lines. He retreats and gets as far away from the fighting as he can. And he's under a large oak tree, holding his nephew, who's gasping for breath, a little 13-year-old boy or, or, or young man. And Matthew McConaughey's looking at him, and he's trying to soothe him. And the boy's saying, I'm scared, I'm scared, I don't want to die. And Matthew McConaughey, I want to meet the guy who wrote this, the screenplay. He looks right at him, and he says this. Do you believe in Jesus? You know how Matthew McConaughey can talk. I wish I could do his voice. Do you believe in Jesus? And the boy says, yes, yes, uncle, you know I do. He goes, well, then you're not going to die. A couple of minutes pass. They're still talking. The boy's gulping and gasping for breath. I'm scared, uncle. I don't want to die. Do you believe in Jesus? And the boy says, yes, you know I believe in Jesus. He goes, well, then you're not going to die. You're not going to die. If you believe in Jesus, you've already died. All that's going to happen is this transforming transaction where we're going to let go of you on this side and Jesus is going to grab you and welcome you into eternity. Welcome you into eternity. When we begin to believe that, brothers and sisters, we are unstoppable. We are grateful. We are forgiving. We are thankful. And we are formed more and more into his likeness by the power of his Holy Spirit. And it's a corporate likeness. I love our Reformation history, but it's also, you are the body of Christ. I had a professor, he would come up in front of the class, and the first thing he'd do at the beginning of the class, or she'd do, is she'd bow. It was the oddest thing. And I finally got up the courage to say, why are you bowing? I, you're not Buddhist, are you? And she's like, nothing, I'm gonna get in trouble for that. And she, um, she said, no, 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 you're the body of Christ. I'm bowing to the body of Christ. When we are collectively formed as the body of Christ's holy cross, we're unstoppable, we're unstoppable. So let me end. How then, Gary, uh, we heard what you said about ambassadors, smile at people, push the shopping cart back, water some plants, we get it. Um, what, what, if, um, what, if, what if that seems even a little bit of a, a works righteousness thing, Gary? What, what if that even seems like we're trying to work to gain our salvation? Give us something else. Well, let me tell you that first of all, and I think all of you believe this, as Jesus walked around this earth calling people to follow him, and then allowing his spirit to form them so that his purpose could be fulfilled, everybody wanted to be around Jesus. When you read the Gospels, the collective group of people by the end of each of the Gospels that are surrounding him are always described as a crowd. He feeds 4,000. People have to be lowered through roofs. By the end of Jesus' ministry in all four Gospels, he's collected a crowd. You know why? Because everywhere he went, something shined out of him. The Shekinah power of God, the Old Testament would say, shined out of him. People saw him and said, hmm, there's something about that guy. And they wanted to be around him. They wanted to be around him. We all who have received the Holy Spirit have that same power, whether we know it or not. Um, we are all, Paul says, clay vessels. And how many people have clay pots that have cracks in them? Come on. Okay, you got plants, they got cracks. You water them and the water comes out of them, right? We're clay vessels, Paul says, but we have cracks. And those cracks are the things in our life that have hurt us or caused us pain. So you have a spirit of anxiety you can't shake? 
there's a little bit of a crack in you. You've been divorced or your parents experienced divorce, there's a crack. Lost a loved one, lost a spouse, lost a child, big, big crack. Estranged from people, estranged from friends, crack. Had hurtful things said or done to you, crack, crack, crack. All of those places are points in us that God can shine his light out of. People will see it. If you will let your light shine before men, Jesus says, they will see it and give glory to their Father in heaven. I'm going to end with one funny story. I was down at City Church. I was dressed in civilian clothes. I had my little teeny Bible, the one that you carry when you don't want people to see you carrying a Bible, but you need credit with God so you still carry your Bible. Little teeny one. And the service was over. I just wanted to see what a church plant looked like. And so the service was over. I went to lunch with some people. King Street, South Carolina, blue jeans, cool, well, I thought, sport coat, shirt. And I'm walking back to my car. And on the other side of the street is a woman with a shopping cart and all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, okay, don't make eye contact with her. <laughs> and she, she looks across the street. There's 25 people on my side of the street. And I'm walking. I even kind of hide my teeny Bible. I don't know her. She doesn't know me. And she yells across two lanes of traffic, Pastor! <laughs> And I, I stopped and went, what? Put the Bible away. Pastor! Went across the street, started talking to her. Two hours later, I drop her off at home. I had a van that somebody gave me. It smelled like wet socks inside of it. And I didn't like to drive it more than about 30 minutes because it smelled so bad. Two hours later, in the van that smelled like socks, I took Mary to her home in North Charleston with church's chicken and, a, and food for the neighbor and all those things. What happened was, I'm convinced, Mary saw something that I didn't see. Mary saw something that I probably was trying to hide. Some of us don't want people to know what our cracks are. The truth of the matter is we can't control that. If we've said, yes, Lord, I'll follow you, and if he's poured his spirit into us, then your cracks are allowing God to shine out of those. You're ambassadors with cracks. But that's good news because with those cracks, we can fulfill his purpose. And we can fulfill it by rejoicing in the triumph of good over evil that's occurred in the world and for us. But we can't dwell there. I love this. Eugene Peterson says this. He says this. He says, um, we shouldn't be thrilled um, about um, God's authority over us as much as we should be thrilled about his presence in us. Think about that. It's great that we call him Lord and Savior. It's even greater, though, that he's given us his Holy Spirit so that we can walk this call out, right? Because without his spirit, we can't do it. So don't forget, he's always calling us out of something, but he's promising to go with us into the new something. He's promising, better still, to be with us forever. So let's believe that we're called in this series. Let's believe what we're called and that the truth of the call is three parts. His love calls and allows us to follow him. His love calls and allows us to follow him. His authority and power then are allowed to form us. And finally, his Holy Spirit presence fulfills us by uniting us to him in the call now and for eternity. Amen.